want to welcome you guys to church today. I'm so glad to uh, see, all you, see all of you guys. I'm so glad that uh, you're joining us online, uh, wherever you may be watching. If you're at home in Portland, uh, if you're in Alaska, if you're in Arizona, man, we're so, so blessed and so thankful to be, uh, to be with you guys today. Um, today's message is what we call a standalone message, meaning it's not a part of a larger series. It's just this is the one message. And um, uh, we usually typically like to preach in series, series, <laughs> but we just finished a long one or five-week sermon series last week, and today is just kind of its own thing. And so um, if this is your first time here, your first time joining us, or you haven't joined us in a long time, uh, this is a really good weekend because you're all caught up. Like you're with every, we're all at the same place. And so uh, I'm excited to share this message that I put, I think God had put on my heart. Um, so last week, um, we had a, uh, our favorite event of the year at church, the uh, annual church spring cleaning last week, right? Woohoo! Nobody but Jeremy Liu loves spring cleaning. But we had that last Sunday, and um, how many of you guys came out for spring cleaning? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, you guys are amazing, thank you. If you didn't, that's okay. There's always next year you can come out for spring cleaning next year. Um, but a part of spring cleaning, um, there's like lots of tasks to do. And one of the biggest tasks was weeding and, and pulling out a bunch of weeds that are like all throughout our parking lot. And uh, there was a time where a few of us were sitting kind of at the, um, the if you guys don't know, that, that divider in between parking spots. And there's all these plants in there. They're overgrown. And like there are tons of weeds there. And a bunch of us were sitting there pulling weeds. And uh, next to me was uh, Cheryl was pulling weeds. And then Dan Lee walks up. By the way, he wasn't pulling weeds. I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't pulling weeds. He comes up and he goes to Cheryl. And if you guys don't know Cheryl, Cheryl is a gardener. She is a master gardener. She is excellent at gardening. And he says to her some version of this. Remember, Dan, you said, I heard that some people actually do this for fun. Right? You know, and I was like, aha, uh -huh, yeah, I'll kind of laugh. That was kind of funny. Um, and then Cheryl has a comeback that was like, uh, okay. Okay, and this is what she said. I want to put on screen. She said, someone once said, you're closer to God in a garden than anywhere else in the world. And none of us could say anything. Cheryl Hansen, church spring cleaning. By the way, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed quoting you guys. I, I, I'm starting to do that more. I did that for the first time, Ernie, and I really enjoy it. So beware. If we're talking, I may quote you in a sermon. But that was cool. Like, she said that, and, and, and she didn't come up with that. But that's kind of a saying, and, and people have said that you feel close to God when you're gardening. And you see this, like, in the Bible, right? Like, Jesus gives parables, and a lot of the parables have to do with farming and gardening and kind of stuff like that. And so the, the, the Jesus saw, as many people see, a lot of spiritual truths reflected in gardening and in landscaping and those kinds of things. Now, I am not a gardener, okay? I am not, I am the furthest thing from a gardener. I have never grown anything successfully in my life. Okay, I've killed many a plant. I've killed an orchid, which was potted. I've killed a cactus. Who killed a cactus? I killed a cactus. All right, Andy killed a cactus, okay. I killed a cactus, and most recently, I killed an avocado plant. An avocado plant, if you don't know, is one of the easiest things. You don't even use dirt. You put a seed in a jar with water, and I killed it. I've never, ever, believe this, I don't know if you can believe this or not, I've never mowed a single lawn in my entire life. Ever. 
The closest I got to mowing a lawn is I burned my finger touching a lawnmower one time when I was like four years old. So I am not a gardener. But, but recently I moved into a new home. And uh, some of you guys know we moved into a new home. It was a brand new house and we were really, really excited. Uh, the builders came to me and said, hey, do you want us to put in grass in your backyard? And I said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. And they said, okay, it's going to cost you know, over $3,000. And I said, hmm, okay. So I'm not a gardener, but I really want to save money. So in that moment, I made a decision. And I declared to the world and to myself that I shall lay down my own sod in my backyard. Now, you're wondering, Chris, you just said, like, you're not a gardener. Do you know how to lay sod? Have you ever laid sod? My answer to that is a resounding a hard no. Never. I have no idea. I had no idea how to do it. So I declared that I shall call Jeremy Liu and ask him to help me lay sod in my backyard. And he, out of the kindness of his heart, the goodness of his heart, came one day to my house and he helped me lay sod in my backyard. And as Cheryl mentioned and as Jesus, we see in Jesus' teachings, I saw so much spiritual truth in that process of laying down sod, right? And I was like, kind of, I was kind of considered gardening, but through it, there are so many things that I saw like, oh man, this is like a biblical spiritual principle when we did this. Oh, oh, I see, I see how there's spiritual truth reflected in this. And this, like almost every stage of the process, I was like, I see God's truths here. And I was like, this is amazing. This is really cool. Like I should do this a lot more. People should all do this. And, um, and, and as I was doing it, I, I just felt like, man, I want to share one part with you guys. And so today, what I'm doing today in today's message is I want to share one part of my experience laying sod that revealed really, really important spiritual truth to me. And I want to share that with you guys today. All right? And so um, the, uh, the, the message that, before I get to the message, um, I want you to understand, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And through the process, I saw and experienced something that I think is so relevant for us. Like if you're here in this place, if you're watching and if you've grown up in church and you're in church, you have wondered about what we're talking about today. And you've wondered about how you could do better in this particular area of life. For anyone who is trying to live the life of faith in a developed country like the one that we live in, right now here in this city or in Arizona or Alaska, you have wondered about what we're talking about today. And e e even more so than it just being relevant for some of you, this is the thing holding you back. That if you were able to grasp the application of today's message, not the truth, because you actually already understand and grasp the truth. If you were to grasp the application of today's message, your spiritual walk, your, your journey with God would change. And once I kind of share with you guys what I'm talking about, I think you guys will understand. Um, so what we're talking about today, and the title of my message is this, How to Need God, My Experience Laying Sod. How to Need God. Have you ever felt like you know you need God, but you don't really feel like you need God? Have you ever thought, I know I need God, but I don't live life like I need God. I kind of live life like I just need myself. I kind of live life 
depending on myself and trusting in myself, but I know I need God. And you know that if you are somehow able to go through a process or experience and you could know in your mind, know in your heart, your life would change. This is what I saw and what I experienced in kind of this process of laying down sod. And this is what I've learned. This is what I've learned. I've learned that even though, even though needing God is innate, it is still something we need to cultivate. I know that's kind of a cheesy rhyme, but I'm hoping that kind of sticks with you. Right? The Bible tells us that our need for God is built in in us. Like we know we know, we know we need it from the depths of our heart. We know we need it. It's innate, but for a lot of us, it's something we have to cultivate in our lives. We need to build an experience so that we understand how much we need God. Because in life, man, there's so many things that are telling you and showing you that you don't need God. And if we're honest, some of us, if we stop believing, if we chose to reject God, our life, our lives would go on very normally. And it would be fine. So how do we learn to need God? That's what we're talking about today. So can you guys join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, I invite your spirit, I invite your presence to be in this place. I pray that you would help us to be aware of what you're trying to say to us today. Lord, we got to learn how to need you. Like that deer we sang about, we need to learn how to pant for you, God. We need to have an experience and grow our faith and grow our life and, and, and spiritual experience so that we long for you. And I know that we want that. We just don't know how to get there. So, Father, I pray, God, that through this message you would speak to those who need to be spoken to. And you'd open our minds and our hearts to understand and learn how to need you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, let me show you a before and after picture of my yard. Okay, so like I said, I said to the builders, no thank you. Don't charge me that much money. I do not want your grass. I'm going to do it myself. And so this is what my lawn looked like, or my backyard looked like before everything. Here you go. Here's a picture. That's what it looked like. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's wonderful. Okay. So that is after I took off all the hay. But this is the... Uh, this is my yard. And let me tell you about my yard. When you go there and you walk on it, it is just dirt. It is literally just rock hard dirt. Okay, we can take it off the screen. That's ugly. We don't look at that anymore. All right. It was rock hard dirt. And when I say it's rock hard dirt, I mean that there were huge rocks in my dirt. Okay. It's not just hard. It was, there were huge rocks that were like this big all throughout my dirt. It was just it was very, very, very difficult to try to, like, you know, break it up. And, and when you stepped on it, you could feel it. it was solid. It felt like concrete, right? It's very, very, very hard dirt. So that's what it looked like before. And now I'm going to show you the after. And um, for my own self-esteem, I'm going to ask you guys to ooh and ah at the next couple pictures, okay? Just because I would be sad if I showed it to you and you guys are like, mm, all right, cool. So. Just for me, and if you're at home, you can do this too, like ooh and ah with me. I'll lead you guys in it. All right, so that, you remember what it is? Can we show the other picture again? All right, this, two, this. Ooh. And then, ah. Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I actually feel worse than I did before I asked you to do that. That's kind of pathetic. All right, but seriously, actually, can we put the, pick the picture back on? This is my, my team, right? These are the guys that helped me. So... 
Praise God for Jeremy Liu, Elliot Yu, and um, actually Pastor Jonathan, he helped me with my trees later, and uh, that was awesome because neither of us knew what we were doing. But anyway, so this is what it turned out. And let's go back to the other picture because it's beautiful with the clouds. And the photo credit goes to Jeremy Liu, but it actually goes to Esther Liu because she taught Jeremy how to take pictures. All right? And so this is beautiful picture, like it's, it's green, it's lush, oh, it's beautiful, right? And I find myself staring at my grass like every day. Okay, now we can take it off the screen. I find myself looking out my window and being like, man, that's some nice grass. I've never said that before in my life. But I'm like, man, that is some beautiful grass. I can't wait to walk on it. I can't wait to step on it. I can't wait to water it, you know. Like, oh, my sprinkler's working, right? I got really invested in my grass. So it looked terrible before, and now it looks great. And we're, I'm super, super happy with it. But we had to go through so many steps to get there. And it was not as easy as I thought. You know, I thought it was like, all right, you just take those rolls. You know, the scene, those rolls of, uh, of sod, the grass, it looks like, you know, roll cake from like the bakery. And then you just put it there and then you unroll it and then you water it and then you got grass. Boom. That's awesome, right? Like easy. It's not like that. It's super hard, actually. It's really, really difficult. And there's one part of the experience that I want to share with you guys. Um, and you have to, before you do anything, you have to break up that rock hard ground and make it soft. Because no plants are going to be able to grow through that. The, the, the grass is not going to be able to, to its roots are not going to, you know, penetrate into that really rock hard ground. And, and that's what Jesus talked about, right? When he talked about the parable of the sowers, he talked about rocky ground. And so that's what I had. So in order to do that, though, in order to do that, you have to do this thing called tilling. Which I had no idea what tilling was. But tilling is basically the process where you break up the ground and you mix it up with some good soil so it's soft. And so it's uh, a soil that will give life where the grass, when it's laid on it, can like actually take root and grow. And like it, it's awesome. It's awesome. But it was really hard. And so let me show you guys a little of the process of how we tilled my rock hard dirt. Okay? Here we go. This is what we use. This is what we use. <laughs> All right, so that, that's tilling. And so we did basically hours of this, okay? It's this giant machine that if you look under, it's like, it has like gigantic ninja star types blades at the bottom. And it just spins and it cuts up your dirt. And it's so, so hard. Thankfully, Jeremy did most of it. I did like 10 minutes of it. Unfortunately, I had another appointment that I had to... <laughs> attend to. And he was at the church, so it's, it's legit. But Jeremy did most of it. He told me the next day, he's like, oh, my triceps are killing me because as you're rolling it, it's shaking and it's going go, 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 go. And you have to push it down with your arms and make it across. And my dirt was so hard that we had to just do that for hours, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, hours and hours and hours. You know, what I saw in this process, and this is the process that I want to talk about today. As we talk about learning how to need God, this is the process that a lot of us need to go through. Because as we learn in the scriptures, as Jesus talked about soil and rock hard soil, the soil often represents our hearts. And so this, this rock hard soil, this rock hard dirt is the rock hard heart that says, I don't need you, God. It's the rock hard heart, it's the hard heart that says, I don't need you, God. But it's also the hard heart that says, I know I need you, but I live like I don't. And it's also the hard heart that says, 
I know I need you, but I'm going to do things my way. It's the hard heart that won't allow God's word to penetrate in. And so what we need, if you want to learn how to need God, we have to go through a process of tilling. God needs to till our hearts. He needs to take one of those big red machines and go through our hard hearts, these hard hearts that don't know their need for God or acknowledge it, but it's so comfortable, life is so comfortable that it needs to be broken up with this machine. We need to invite God to till our hearts. Now, when we look at this idea of God tilling our hearts, you know, you look at the scripture, God does this in a number of different ways. And I want to talk about three of them. One of them, you guys know. You guys know one way that God tills people's hearts, the way God breaks up our rock-hard hearts that we can sense our need for him? You know that way, but you don't want that way. You know that way, and you've heard about it, and you've seen it in other people's lives, but you don't want it for yourself. The second one is not as difficult, but it's not something we normally do. And the third one has no pain. It is pleasant. It is wonderful. And it's something that we all want to actually do, but don't do. So I'm going to share with you guys three ways, the three things we can do or three things that can happen in order for our hearts to be tilled, broken up, where it's soft and we sense our need for God. The first way of how to need God, and this is the one that you guys know, it is pain. And this is the one you guys know, and this is the one that you don't want. But you know this is effective, and you've seen this in people's lives. And we see this all throughout the Bible that this is one of, the, one of the ways God actually breaks up the rock hard hearts in his people and in our lives. It's through pain. And one of the, one of the best areas of the scripture, we see this in the book of Judges. The book of Judges where, where the people are described this way in Judges chapter 2 verse 10. It says, after that a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So in other words, you have a group of Israelites who were not at the Red Sea, who did not wander in the desert. They did not see God's miracles. They did not see God leading them through battles and defeating the, 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 the walls of Jericho. Like they missed all that and they didn't see all those things. And a new generation is born and they don't know anything about God. And they don't really care much about this God that their parents talked about or their grandparents talked about. And what they, their, their, their philosophy of life was simply this. And it's described in Judges 21 verse 25. It says, in those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I don't need God. I'm my own God. I don't need a king. I'm my own king. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't feel like I need God. So this is where the people were at. And what you see in the book of Judges, it's actually uh, fascinating, but also kind of like boring because it's the same thing over and over again. You have the people of God who are rebelling and they don't care about God, they worship other idols, whatever. And so God has to send or or remove his protection. And so another nation comes in and attacks them and, and beats them up and conquers them. And they say, oh no, now we need God. And they get on their hands and knees and they're praying, God, please help us, please help us. So God brings up a deliverer called a judge, and they say, oh, thank you, God, and they love God again, and then they feel like they need God again for a time, and eventually they go back to their old ways, and you get this cycle over and over and over again in Judges. And, and let's be honest, does that sound familiar to us? Does that sound familiar? 
I'm fine, I'm fine. Once tragedy hits, oh, I need you, God. And you pray and you do it, you do it with your, your whole genuine, authentic heart. You're like crying out to God. And he shows up and he provides and he takes care of you. And you're like, thank you. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to give, I'm going to give offering, all that stuff. And in a matter of time, you just kind of go back to the old ways. And so we see God use pain in, in these situations. We use God, see God use, use, use catastrophe and challenge and difficulty. All right, this is what C.S. Lewis says about pain in his book called The Problem of Pain. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. In, in other words, pain says, you have to deal with this right now. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts... In our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's so good, right? That's so good. He, he, he whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to you. He screams to you, getting your attention through pain. So we see God do this. This is We see it all throughout the Bible, him using this. And, and, and you know, I don't think God wants to. It's just like this works for people. And you've seen it in other people's lives. You've seen people that you knew who did not care. Something happened. They sought God. They prayed. And their lives were changed because of the tragedy and the challenge that they faced. And you've seen this work in people's lives. But when was the last time you prayed, God, give me pain? Right? When was the last time we prayed, God, give me challenges? God, give me something in my life that's super hard so that I will call out to you. Like, we don't pray that prayer because who does? We're like no normal person. That's, that's crazy. We don't want pain. In fact, most of our lives, all we're trying to do is avoid pain. Isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to avoid pain, trying to avoid discomfort. We're just trying to avoid all that stuff. We don't pray and seek out trouble from God. And so we actually have no control of this. Sometimes this just happens and, and there's nothing much we can do. So this is something we, we don't really need to dwell on because we have no control. We just have to like trust God in those moments. And if we do the next couple things we're going to talk about, we'll be at the right place so that when God does bring those challenges, we will remain faithful and through those experiences, we will grow to see our need for him. All right. So um, God uses pain. The second thing that we do, the second thing that we can do that, like I said, is a little bit painful and a little bit uncomfortable, that will help you to know and sense your need for God, is confession. Confession. And this is praying to God and confessing your sins to him. Confessing your mistakes. Confessing your blunders. When you were, when you were angry at that person for no reason. When you, when you snapped at somebody. When you, when you were dishonest with your words or with your finances. When you had those negative thoughts about someone. When you had those lustful thoughts about someone. Like these moments, we need to learn to confess. See, confession actually leads us to see our need for God. So if we want to talk about how to need God, this is a part of the conversation, confession. And, and, and this is not about like feeling bad. This is not about rehashing your mistakes. It's not about dwelling on, on all your, your, your shortcomings and all the mistakes you've made and the way you're not measuring up. This is not about creating a sense of shame and guilt for you. That's not why we confess. We confess because... And let me get to that. We're going to get to that. So when we, when we confess, what we have to understand is when we don't confess, 
what happens to us, and then what happens to us when we actually do confess. Look at what King David said when he talked about his experience with confession. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. All right, let's just, let's just stop there for a second. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced that? That this thing is weighing on your heart and on your mind and you feel like you're, you're carrying this heavy burden. Whether it's a, a sin against God or a sin against a person. And, and, and when you just kept it to yourself, you felt the darkness and the pain and the heaviness of that whole experience. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long, day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins. I couldn't take it anymore. It was just too hard. And I confessed my sins and I gave it all to you. And I said, God, this is what I've done. This is my mistakes. I have no excuses. I am a sinner, man. I, I, I've, uh, I'm sorry. I've confessed all my sins to you. And stop trying to hide my guilt. I'm not trying to pretend anymore, God. I'm not trying to pretend it and sweep it under the rug and think I'm doing fine when I'm really not. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And look what he says. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. All my guilt is gone. You see, the reason why I want you to learn to confess, the reason why confession is a part of the Christian journey, it's not so that you feel bad. It's not this like, oh, I'm such a terrible sinner and I need to know that I'm a terrible sinner and that I'm bad and then that I need God. It's not about that. The reason why confession is so important in this conversation about learning how to need God, it's because in confession, you get to experience real time what it's like to be forgiven. Let me say that again. In confession, you experience what it's like to be forgiven real time. Forgiveness is no longer something that happened 2,000 years ago on a cross. Forgiveness is not something that's going to happen in the future when God comes back and takes you to heaven. You get to experience in confession, God's reach out to you and say, I forgive you right now in this moment, real time. It is in moments of confession that we, we come face to face with our sin, but then we immediately come face to face with our Savior. And in that moment of confession, in that raw, real moment of confession, we can experience him saying to us through the Bible, through thoughts in our minds, through other people we trust, spiritual people, we get to experience what it's like when God says, I forgive you. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. You don't have to feel shame. I love you. And I've wiped away all your sin. Thank you for bringing that to me. I have done away with it. That experience is such a powerful experience. And you will never experience it if you do not ever spend time confessing. For me in my life, some of the most real moments with God were in times of confession. Because it's easy to, to kind of be fake with God in prayer. And even in confession. But when you really are confessing, it's real and it's raw and God becomes real to you. Like I have these moments where I think about in my life, just a few of them, where God came to me in such a real way that shaped my journey as a Christian. 
and shape my journey as a follower and to think that if I was proud and arrogant or I didn't want to deal with it and I chose not to confess, I would have missed out on those opportunities. That that seems so sad to me. And the thing is, when we, we come to God and we confess, we don't have to worry about will we be forgiven. We don't have to wonder, okay, have I, have I felt bad enough? Have I done enough for God to forgive me? We don't have to worry about that because he gives us a promise in 1 John chapter 1. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will, will not maybe, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This happens in confession. God forgives you. You know that. But have you ever had a moment where you felt it in the deepest parts of your heart that you are forgiven? And that those mistakes that have been haunting you no longer need to haunt you? That the shame and guilt that you've been carrying with you, that baggage you've been walking around with, that you, have you ever experienced that baggage being let go? That happens in confession. So if you want to know and feel and understand why you need God. We have to spend time in confession. I mean, what it comes down to is confession keeps us humble and keeps us from being entitled. And those are the two things that really keep us from knowing our need for God is pride and entitlement. But confession, it keeps us from being proud, it keeps us humble, and it keeps us from being entitled. Now, confession is not very pleasant. You know, and, and the way that a lot of us may do it, kind of like just regularly, it's not really what confession is. It's not a, God, please forgive me of my sins. Now, have you ever thought about doing that between you and your wife or you and your significant other? Forgive me of all the, all the things that I did. Like, I know there was something I did today, and I know you're upset, but can you just forgive me for all of them? I'm sorry for all of them. Right, like we, that's not how it really works. You can't really do that. So Ellen White gives us this amazing teaching about confession in Steps to Christ. And I want to read this to you. This is what she says. She says, true confession is always of specific character. And this is also why confession can be painful and uncomfortable. True confession is always of specific character and acknowledges particular sins. Not general sins, particular sins. They may be of such a nature as to be brought before God only. So some of those sins you got to take to God and confess to only God. But they may be wrongs that should be confessed to individuals. This is when it starts getting real rough, okay? They may be wrongs that should be confessed to individuals who have suffered injury through them. Or they may be of public character and should then be as publicly confessed. Woo! That's rough. But all confession should be definite and to the point acknowledging the very sins of which you are guilty. Right, so, so the way Ellen White teaches confession, it's like you can't just, you can't just do a general one. You've got to talk about actually those things. You can't also only just confess to God. Sometimes you have to confess to people, individuals, or maybe to a group. And the reason why she's saying this is not because she's trying to make it painful. You know, confession is uncomfortable and it can be painful. But the reason why we do that is not so that we can feel that pain and shame and guilt and embarrassment. It's so that the more real we get, the more specific we get, the more powerful the experience of forgiveness and grace will be. When you feel like God is, when you say, God, forgive me of all my sins, 
It's different than God forgive me for this. This thing that I did to my children or to my, my, my co-workers. Or, or, or this thing that I did to my wife. Or the way I responded in this way. Like forgive me for that. And God says, yes, I forgive you for that. That anger, that lust, that jealousy, that gossip, that greed. I forgive you for that. Is a completely different experience than God forgiving for all my sins. And he's like, okay. You see, we owe it to ourselves. And that's a strong word. That's a strong phase. We owe it to ourselves to confess. Because listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, the head of the church in the, in the, in the, early, in the, in the, in the early church time, in the New Testament, this is what he says happens when we confess. And this is why I say you owe it to yourself. This is what is on the other side of forgiveness. He said, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's what confession does. That's what specific, uncomfortable confession does. It leads us to a place where we can experience healing. That's what I'm saying. Do it. And do it specifically for you, for yourself. Because it's through that process we become healed. You know, the power of sin, I've said this before, the power of sin, the power of temptation is like doubled, tripled, and multiplied in silence and in isolation. The power of sin in your life, the power of temptation in your life is so much more powerful when it is silent and in isolation. When you don't talk about it with other people, when you don't talk about it with God, the power of sin is so strong. But once you put it out there, once you vocalize and verbalize it to God and to people in your life, your, your small group or, or, or the people that you know love you and care about you, and you confess that to them, the power of sin lessens. The temptation and power, that it, the hold it has on you will become much less if you vocalize and verbalize your sins and your struggles. Confess your sins to each other and confess your sins to God so that you might be healed. Like what if that thing that's inside of you that has been dragging you around could be gone simply because you talked about it with somebody. And you confessed it to God. And you confessed it to the people who love you in your life. What if it could be gone? What if you no longer have to carry that burden anymore simply because you were willing to confess it and speak it into reality? So this is the second way that God teaches us we can learn to know how to need him. So first was pain. The second was through confession. And again, confession is not very pleasant. And you probably are like, I don't know. But some of you, maybe that's what you need to do. Some of you, maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you need to go home and you need to go into your room or go into a closet or just get away from people. Get on your knees and confess your sins to God specifically. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to be in a place where God can share, shower his grace upon you. Maybe you need to put yourself into a place where God can forgive you and you can experience the process and the joy and the wonder and the miracle of forgiveness. That you wouldn't just know it in your brain as an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's something happening right now, in this moment, in this room, in this conversation. You can experience that. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe that's what you do, need to do when you go home. Now the third thing, and the last thing for us, to me is, is it is beautiful. 
The first two are like, oh, I don't know if I want that. It's kind of tough. This third one, you want this. And, and actually, literally everyone knows that this is something that's good for us. You know, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, if you're, you know, whatever age you're in, whatever. Like everyone knows that this is something that is so good for us that we all need. And this is something that we can all do. We can all experience. We can all begin to grow in. And it will help us to know how to need God. And it may be one thing that you've never really associated with feeling like you need God. Like the first two, you've probably thought about that. Like I know that if something bad happens to me, I know I'm going to need God. I know that when I think about my sin and how I'm like a sinner and bad and stuff like that, I'll know I need God. But this third one, you may never have really connected, connected the, this idea with so, knowing our need for God. But this is what it is. The third way to how to need God is thankfulness. Thankfulness. That's what I said. This is pleasant. This is like happy time, right? Like this is what we want to hear. Like this is good. Thankfulness is positive. It's not painful. It's good for you. This is what everyone says, right? There's so many blogs about, man, you got to learn to be more thankful. You got to have gratitude. You know, you got to write a thankfulness journal, right, where you every night you go, before you go to sleep, you write all the things you're thankful for. Like this is good for you. You know, a lot of psychologists and counselors tell their patients to do this. This is a really important part of kind of like growing and healing and stuff like that. But and I don't think we've often associated thankfulness connected to understanding our need for God. But this is what you need to understand. The reason I'm telling you to be thankful and the reason I believe God is telling you to be thankful is not so that you will just be like happy with yourself. Like it's not about like, oh, I'm just going to be happy with my life. It's not about making you feel better. Okay? And, and sometimes that's kind of what it's about, kind of in, the, in popular culture. But in the Christian church, in the Bible, it's not about, oh, be thankful so that you can feel better about yourself and feel better about your life. See, the reason why we're called to be thankful is because your thankfulness connects you to his faithfulness. Let me say that one more time. Your thankfulness connects you to his faithfulness. The more you're thankful, the more you will experience and be able to experience his faithfulness. One more time. Your thankfulness connects you to his faithfulness. Because God is faithful, amen? God is faithful, but sometimes we forget, don't we? God is faithful, right? But sometimes we miss it. See, thankfulness will ensure or helps us to not miss it and to not forget how faithful God has been in our lives. So I want to unpack this a little bit more, why thankfulness helps us to see our need for God and why thankfulness connects us to his faithfulness. You, you know, one of the fam most famous verses about thanksgiving and thankfulness is from 1 Thessalonians. And it's kind of like the one on t-shirts, it's the one on, on pictures, it's the one on mugs and stuff like that. And it goes like this, it says, rejoice always, the Apostle Paul talking about this, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. Well, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? So this is a, a pretty famous verse. A lot of people know and we like to talk about this. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, I like this verse a lot. I love this verse. It sounds really wonderful. But I've struggled with this. Like, I've struggled with actually how to do this. How do I give thanks in all circumstances? Like, what does that mean and what does that look like for me in my life. And, and, and when I try to apply this, when I try to just be thankful no matter what, because it's all circumstances, right? Good circumstances, bad, ugly, 
everything, right? Give thanks in all circumstances. I found that when I'm trying to do this, what ends up happening is I'm just basically trying to put a silver lining to this dark cloud. I'm just like, okay, this is horrible, but I can be thankful. I can be thankful. At least I have my health. At least I have this. At least I do this. You know, you know when, I, when I think of, thought about how to apply this and something not great is happening in my life, it's just like keep a stiff upper lip. Right, just, just, just believe and, and, and have faith and, and just be positive. Like, I know everything is garbage and trash right now, but you can smile. And, and you can do that for a time, but eventually it gets really, really difficult. And so as I tried to apply this, I struggled. I didn't know what this looks like. How am I supposed to do this? Because a lot of times it felt disingenuous. I felt like I was being fake, and I wasn't really letting people in on the pain and the, and the hurt and the sadness and the struggle that I was facing in that moment. I was like, I don't know if this is what God, this is, this is God's will for my, like, is this God's will for my life to like just pretend like I'm okay? And I'm not? I don't know, maybe you, I don't know if you guys ever struggle with this kind of like this feeling like you have to just be happy in the church. Like you just have to pretend, and if things suck, it's a, you just got to like push through it, you know? I had a hard time kind of dealing with that whole, that whole idea. And I know that when I was doing that, it didn't bring comfort to me. And I know that when I tried to share that with other people, it brought no comfort to them. In fact, it made them more upset and it hurt them more to say, well, at least you have this. At least this. And so I, I struggled with understanding what this verse was about until I came across another verse. And the thing is, the Apostle Paul, like, he didn't just write this, like he lived this, right? Like, like I believe in what the Apostle Paul said because he was, he was the guy that did this. In all circumstances, he gave thanks. And I don't think he did it kind of like in a fake way. Like there's a story of him in Acts chapter 16 where he's in prison and he's singing praises to God. And the prisoners and the guards are like, what is wrong with this guy? This guy's crazy. We see him write other letters where he's in prison and, and, and he's, he's about to die. And he's getting old and all these things are falling apart. And he says... I'm thankful and I'm content. It's like he knows what he's saying. I just didn't understand. And then I read this other verse. This other verse in another part of the, uh, of the New Testament where he writes in Colossians. And like it's not a, it's not a mind-blowing verse, right? It's the, you're not going to read and be like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. It's really short. It's one sentence. But for me, this really helped me to understand how thankfulness fits in to all of this. And it's in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful and thankful. You see, when the Apostle Paul talked about thankfulness, it was connected to watchfulness. He was saying to us that thankfulness is not a singular act. It's not a moment where you're like, I'm thankful for something. He reminds us that being thankful leads to and is connected to being watchful. Thankfulness is not an act, it's a perspective. Thanksgiving that he talks about, that the Bible talks about, is not something we, we do, it's something we have. It is a filter, it is a paradigm, it is a vision, it is a perspective that when you live a life of thankfulness, you see and are looking for and are watchful and are vigilant of God's faithfulness in your life. 
See, when we are, are willing to be thankful, when we grow in the ability and the skill, and that's what it is, it is an ability and a skill to be thankful, what ends up happening is we become far more watchful for God's faithfulness in our lives. When we're thankful, we end up, without even thinking about it, you don't have to try it. If you, if you find yourself learning to be thankful, you end up looking for God to show up. And guess what's going to happen? When you look for God to show up, guess what's going to happen? You're going to see him show up. When you're looking for God's movement in your life, you will see it. Because it's always there. Because like we said, God is faithful. We are just not looking. And thankfulness is the perspective that allows us to begin to see God's movement and his faithfulness in our lives. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Like we don't have to be like worrying about where's God, where's God, where's God. He said, no, no, just be thankful and you'll see me. And you'll see my faithfulness all over the place. You'll see it everywhere. You'll see my fingerprints everywhere if you would learn to develop and cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Watchfulness and thankfulness are intimately connected as far as Paul is concerned. And so he says, be thankful. And so when he says to, to be thankful in all circumstances, he's not saying, hey, just make yourself feel better. Oh, just trick yourself and just like pretend everything's okay. No, he's saying in all circumstances, maintain the spirit and perspective of thankfulness and you will see me through it all. And Because even in bad times, God is faithful. In good times, God is faithful. In trying times, God is faithful. But the only way we can see it is by learning to be thankful. And we'll begin to experience what, what King David experienced when he wrote this psalm. In Psalm 27, 13, he says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, I remain confident of this. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. I am confident that I will see the goodness of God. Like the things happening to me are bad. And I'm not going to pretend that they're not bad. But I'm confident that I will see his faithfulness and his goodness. I'm going to be watchful. I'm going to be vigilant. I'm going to be looking around for God to show up. He will show up. And what's going to happen, this is an amazing thing. When this becomes a part of your life, when this becomes second nature to you, when you kind of just live in this mode, like wouldn't that be amazing if we just lived in a mode of thankfulness, right? Not a mode of complaining, not a mode of critique, not a mode of, of, of negativity, but a mode, a kind of a place of, of thankfulness, and we just live in that place, in that space all the time. Like when we begin to do that, we will see God's faithfulness Everywhere, and that's why we will sense our need for him because his faithfulness will be everywhere. It's not because you're in pain. It's not because you're in trouble. It's not because you feel bad because you've sinned and because you're a sinner, but because you see his goodness everywhere. So you're like, yeah, I need that. I'm going to live that. I need that God. And the most amazing thing, and this is what I want for you guys, and this is what I want more for myself, is that when you cultivate thankfulness in your life, when you begin to be more thankful and it becomes not just something you try, but something you are, something amazing happens. And this is what I want for you, and this is what I want for me, and I want for everybody, right? What happens is thankfulness moves you from enjoying God's gifts to enjoying God himself. Can you imagine that? Imagine that life. 
Imagine a life where you simply enjoy God for who he is. Like, he doesn't have to give you anything, but you just love him. That you don't just enjoy his gifts, but you enjoy his presence. And his presence is always there because he is faithful. Imagine a life like that. That's what I want for you guys. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for my children. That's what I want for all my friends. That's what I want for so many people to live a life where we just simply enjoy God's presence. You know, this is how we can learn to need God. And I know this is something we all need to hear. Because we all live in a world, in a country, in a state, in a city that's comfortable. And even though we have challenges, we have a lot of reasons to feel like we don't need God. So if you want to learn how to need God, you got to start by laying your own sod at your house. <laughs> you got to put grass down. You got to garden. No, I'm just kidding. What you got to do. Because we can't invite, you know, we don't invite pain into our lives. But all we got to do is begin to confess our sins. To put ourselves in a place where God can shower his grace and forgiveness upon you. And to begin to cultivate the spirit and perspective of thankfulness. Imagine how different our lives would be if that's how we lived. If that's how we interacted with the world. Imagine if we really understood our need for God. And it doesn't have to be pain. You don't have to wait until tragedy hits. You can do it today. You can do it tonight. Let's confess our sins to him in real ways. And let's learn to be thankful and begin to see his faithfulness in every moment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I thank you, Lord, for this message. Father, it's so easy to forget how much we need you. It is so, so easy. And I know I've prayed moments, I've prayed things where I said, God, just have a, can you have a heavier hand in my life? Like, can you just reveal yourself to me. And Father, right now I'm feeling challenged that you're saying like, I don't, I, I've revealed myself to you, you're just not looking. What you need to do, what you need to do is start developing an eyesight, a vision for me. And we do that through thankfulness. Lord, I pray God that you would connect us today to your faithfulness. Help us to see how good you are and how wonderful you are and how you've been there for us in the past and you're there for us in this moment, right now, in this, in this time. And Father, let our, our hearts and our bodies and our minds feel a sense of need for you, not because we're in pain, but simply because we see your faithfulness and goodness all around us. And that doesn't mean pretending everything's good when, when things are not. Lord, we can be struggling but thankful. We can have a rough time but still be grateful, Lord. It's not the same thing as being happy and joyous and Sometimes we need those moments, but Lord, Father, I just pray, God, that you would cultivate in us these things, that we might see our need for you. Because when we see our need for you, Father, we, we know and we trust that you will be faithful to us, as you've always been and you always will be. In your name we pray. Amen.